Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour History. I'm your host, Professor Natalie Harpin. Today I wanted to talk about Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, as it's, I guess, the acronym that it's being reported. So apparently this bank has crashed. It's the second largest failure of a financial institution in U.S. history. And it made me think, you know, that it was interesting timing, being that it's March now, um, that you have so many businesses tied up into this bank and its holdings, but there are some specific companies that I'll talk about that are affected greatly by this. But essentially, it seems like there were there was a 48-hour period um, where people were withdrawing large amounts of money and there was also a capital crisis, so that's what made the bank collapse. And it's really interesting that it happened in the first place. Like I said, it's not, I mean, I don't think that it's very common that banks crash. I may be wrong about that, but generally speaking, banks don't tend to crash because the government assists in some type of a bailout. And it'll be interesting to see in the next few days or sometime this week or in the next few weeks if the U.S. government bails out Silicon Valley Bank. So there are a couple companies, like I mentioned, that had a lot of money invested into the bank. So Roku is one, for example. It says that they had $487 million of their $1.9 billion in cash was held at Silicon Valley Bank, and 26% of the company's cash and cash equivalents, and of course, most of that money is uninsured. So I don't know, I mean, I understand these are corporations, and of course, most company, a lot of these major companies, I won't say most companies, but a lot of these major companies have more than the FDIC can insure, but the FDIC only insures up to $250,000, and that includes the NCUA, which is basically the same thing, but for credit unions, they only federally insure a quarter of a million dollars. So they can only guarantee that if there is some type of a collapse, that you'll get a quarter of a million dollars back. And I believe that also applies to companies. I don't think there's any type of a corporate version of an FDIC that gives them access to more of those funds. So Roku itself says that they don't know what they'll be able, whether or not they'll be able to recover that lost money, you know, and from SVB, but that they have enough to continue their operations and meet their working capital, their expenditures, and the cash requirements. So I'm assuming that means things like their day-to-day operations, their office locations, and maintaining their staff. So another company that has a significant amount of money invested at SVB is Roblox. And I've only heard about Roblox because there are people who I follow on social media who have kids and they talk about how their kids are asking for Roblox credits or whatever it is. But apparently they have 5% of their $3 billion in cash held at Silicon Valley Bank. So yes, that's a pretty big loss, right? Because of course, like in normal people terms, that's a lot of money to lose 5% of 3 billion. 
but they're saying that that's not going to affect any of their day-to-day operations, um, which is true, right? If it's only 5% of the money that they do have in cash, then it seems like they would be fine. Also, there is a Toronto-based company. They had 55, it's called um, Acuity Ads Holding. So they had $55 million at the bank, but they only had $4.8 million elsewhere. So that means 90% of the company's like cash holdings were held in that bank. And of course, you know, if they can't recover that, if there's no bailout, then that means 90% of their business is now just gone. There's another uh, business, so it's a crypto lender called BlockFi. They had $227 million with the bank, but they were also, they had also filed for bankruptcy, so I'm interested to see how that's going to go. And then there's an aerospace manufacturer called Rocket Lab, and they held 8% of their cash holdings, which was $38 million at the bank. So that's what they reported. Now, like I said, most of those companies are probably not going to get that recovered money back, or excuse me, that lost money back, unless there is some type of a bailout that goes toward the bank. What made me initially sort of like think, hmm, that's interesting that this bank just out of nowhere collapsed, is that... If there were a lot of people who went to the bank to pull out their money, my question would be, why was that? So either what's going on in the economy that people pulled it out, that of course, they probably have more knowledge of what's going on in the financial world than of course I do or most Americans do, or were there a large number of businesses that were pulling out their holdings from the bank? Because essentially a bank collapses because... They don't have enough money in cash to give everybody who needs to withdraw it. And for a lot of us, we learned about the bank crash or the financial crash in 1929 and then the subsequent Great Depression that happened in the United States. And I've talked on this podcast about how our depression here in the um, in the United States also influenced economic depressions in Mexico and Germany, for example, and that was huge right, for the histories of both of those countries and the political decisions they made during the late 20s, early 30s. I just talked about what happened in Germany last week, and I've talked about it before, but most of the time people don't rush to go take their money out of the bank for no reason. So it made me wonder what was going on either with the businesses that that had holdings at Silicon Valley Bank or the personal accounts that were held at Silicon Valley Bank, that there were enough people going there to pull out cash that the bank had to essentially close down. I think I've talked about this before, but banks aren't allowed to be closed, I think more than three, no, more than two consecutive days, or maybe it's three, it might be three consecutive days. Um, and that kind of goes back to that, um, time before the Great Depression, where you had people who weren't able to get their money, and so were they were in a panic, and so that's why you'll notice how a lot of bank branches they don't stay closed. I believe it's more than three consecutive days, and that includes the weekend. So it's also important to note that there were many people who had holdings at the Silicon Valley Bank. So it wasn't just major businesses. There are also a lot of individual people who are going to be affected by this. And it seems that most of the people who held individual personal accounts 
at the bank held more money than $250,000 in their accounts. Now, I don't know if they just didn't think that this would happen, if they don't really, if these are people who are younger, maybe in the tech field and didn't really learn about the FDIC or the great crash or just didn't think it was important. But if you have a personal account over $250,000, my initial thought was, why are you holding it all in this one bank, right? Now, of course, like I said, the FDIC does insure up to $250,000, but it's being reported that many of the um, personal clients, like the personal accounts, the people who held those accounts had more than that amount of money. So they are potentially out all of that extra money if there is not a bailout situation. Now, the bank, of course, Silicon Valley Bank, has been turned over to the FDIC, and the FDIC at this point is trying to, well, and the role of the FDIC in these cases is to liquidate the property, the assets of the bank so that it can help make whole the people who have lost money. So that would include depositors, customers, creditors, etc. And Silicon Valley Bank has 17 branches that are between California and there are a few in Massachusetts, but I'm not exactly sure how many are in Massachusetts. Um, But it appears to be more of like a tech lender and healthcare company lender. But upon further investigation, I also read that apparently the interest rates have affected the course of the bank. So this story from CNN Business, um, it's quoted, says, first, there was the Federal Reserve, which began raising interest rates a year ago to tame inflation. The Fed moved aggressively and higher borrowing stocks sapped the momentum of tech stocks that had benefited Silicon Valley Bank. Higher interest rates also eroded the value of long-term bonds that the bank and other banks gobbled up during the era of ultra low near zero interest rates. Silicon Valley Bank's $21 billion bond portfolio was yielding an average of 1.79%. The current 10-year treasury yield is about 3.9%. At the same time, venture capital began drying up, forcing startups to draw down funds held by Silicon Valley Bank. So the bank was sitting on a mountain of unrealized losses in bonds just as the pace of customer withdrawals was escalating. So it seems that the bank started selling stock to help make up for some of that loss. And that triggered a panic from people and businesses that were there. And it all sort of just happened at the same time. So I thought that was really sad. I mean, I guess, you know, rich people's problems, (laughs) but it also has an effect on other businesses. So some of these companies, like I mentioned, that have a very large amount of their holdings within the bank, if they don't get to recover those funds, it could, of course, affect their business models. Um, It may also make them close or force them to close down some of their locations. says that there was a company called Camp, and I I guess it's a it's a toy store, but they're asking it looks like they have clothing and retail for kids, but they're trying to, you know, sell a bunch of things on sale so that they can try to make up some of that loss and keep their operations going. Like I mentioned, there are a lot of personal accounts that are gonna be affected by this if there's no bailout. And so a lot of those people aren't gonna get that money back. And what happened at that bank affected the stock of larger, more um, I guess longer standing banks. So Bank of America, JP Morgan, and Wells Fargo, they all were down 5% on their stock price on Thursday. And it seems like a lot of economists are blaming rising interest rates on this. So I thought I'd go over like current rate. So Forbes was reporting that on March 10th of 2023, that 
for mortgage rates. A 30-year mortgage rate was 7.12%. A 15-year fixed rate was 6.31. A 30-year jumbo mortgage rate was 7.21. And those have gone up quite a lot in the last year. So a year ago, the lowest interest rate for a 30-year mortgage was 4.45%, and it was as high as 7.41. So I guess it is technically down, but it's still almost, I guess, almost double what it was last year or some, at certain points last year. It also says that the 15-year mortgage rate was had a low within the last 52 weeks of 3.64. Like I said, now it's 6.31. And then of course, jumbo mortgage rates, it had a 52 week low of 4.49% and it's currently at 7.21. And I know I've heard a lot of people talking about how much the interest rates have gone up on other borrowed funds, for example, for auto loans. And I should have already specified that, of course, these things vary by bank. And of course, there's a couple different things that they're considering when they're giving you an interest rate. But auto loans have also, the interest rate's gone up on that. So I was looking at the car that I purchased in 2018. I bought it new. And I'm not going to say what it is, but it was a like four-door sedan, I would say like normal working type car. Like, I don't know how to describe it because I'm not a car person, but I would just say it's like a commuter car. So that I paid, I think like 16, two, maybe like it was like basically 16 grand for my car. And there are people selling that same car at the same price used with, you know, 80,000 miles that I paid for it brand new, which tells me that of course, like the price of cars have gone way up as well. There are people online who are talking about how I guess the average car note is now several hundred dollars a month. And I think a lot of this is because last year there was a huge shortage of cars. So there were not enough cars for the demand. So a lot of people were offering cash for people's cars, especially if they were selling them and they were used. You had a lot of people who had to get vehicles to be able to go to work or take care of their families. And so they had to get less favorable terms or pay higher prices. And I mean, I've been talking with my dad about this anyway, because he had kind of been in the market for a new car. Um, and you had a lot of, we had a conversation about how a lot of dealerships, they ramp up the price of the car, right? So the auto manufacturer may set a price of a car at, let's just say, 13 grand. And then the dealer can say, okay, well, we're going to offer it for 16 or 17. Now, on one hand, I do understand that they have to pay overhead, they have to pay people, like, you know, who are the sales reps, they have to pay mechanics and everything. But... It did. It seemed to be a problem because if you were trying to buy it online through the actual automakers that you could get that deal, like for like thirteen grand, for example, it didn't mean that the dealership had to service that car or honor the manufacturer's warranty. And I thought that was complete crap. And that's why I mentioned that me and my father were talking about that because I told him, well, you know, online if this truck is you know, 40 grand. And at the dealer, they're trying to tell you it's 50 grand, just buy it online directly from the dealer and have it delivered to the dealership and then go pick it up. But I didn't know that, of course, 
of course, I didn't know then and I do know now that the dealer doesn't necessarily have to honor the manufacturer's warranty. You'd have to find a dealership that would service your car, for example, for the warranty. If it's bumper to bumper warranty, if it's five years, if it's 50,000 miles, etc. So you may have to pay more money to the dealer to get them to give you some type of an um, an auto maintenance package. And I thought that was complete crap, right? If you're if you're a dealership and the manufacturer has sold a car, I don't see how you can get around servicing the car as long as it came from the manufacturer. But I just wanted to mention auto rates as well because I know those have been also going up as well as mortgage rates. But we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. Apparently, there's not much... Well, they're saying, of course, um, the economists are saying that there's not going to be much panic with regard to other banks having this issue. I don't know how that'll go, right? Because historically speaking, when consumers and when bankers, customers, etc., when they feel like there's a chance that they may not be able to access their funds, they do rush. There is a panic. And that's exactly what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. And to me, the fact that a lot of these major banks that their stock price went down shows that there is a potential for that to happen. So, of course, I understand that the authors of the article aren't going to play into that because that would be detrimental for the economy. They don't want that to happen. But it's something I think that people need to take into consideration. And it's always good to make sure that you have your portfolios diversified between banks, especially if you have $250,000 or more in cash, that you read up on the FDIC or the NCUA and the parameters in which they'd have to be enacted in case it ever affected a bank that you or bank or credit union that you were doing your financial transactions with. But it seems like this is sort of the the uh, the other spectrum of those zero interest and very low interest terms that a lot of businesses and banks were able to capitalize on and make a lot of money. And now they're sort of seeing like the other end of that. And we will see how they pass that on to their customers, because as we know, they're not going to take a loss if they don't have to. So we'll see if you have other financial institutions that are trying to pass that on. If you have businesses that are hosting sales out of nowhere, or they're trying to find ways to generate capital with regard to selling off stock, that could also affect people if they have stock invested in some of these banks. So, I mean, there's a lot more implications than just Silicon Valley Bank. It is really worth a conversation and a refresher about the role of the banking industry, the role of the Federal Reserve, the increasing situation we find ourselves in with raising interest rates and with inflation. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a great week. Spring break is almost here at the college level. So I'm really excited about that. I'm looking forward to doing nothing (laughs) and just resting, but I will see you on the next episode of happy hour history. I am so thankful for your listenership and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.